Welcome to Frankly Judaic, a podcast that explores cutting-edge Judaic studies research conducted at the University of Michigan. I'm your host, Jeremy Shear. Oren Kazansky got the idea for his current research in a somewhat unusual place. I was in a liquor store. I was actually trying to buy wine for, for Shabbat, for the Sabbath, and someone next to me asked for a bottle of Mehia. And I was surprised. Kazansky is an associate professor of anthropology at Lewis and Clark College and a fellow at the Institute for Advanced Judaic Studies at the University of Michigan. He studied Moroccan Jewish culture for many years, and his visit to the liquor store happened while he was in Morocco on a research trip in the early 2000s. He knew about Mehia, the liquor the customer next to him had asked for. Literally translated as water of life, Mehia is a Moroccan liquor distilled from fruits and offered flavored with anise. But the Mehia he knew was produced by Moroccan Jews informally in people's homes, not sold in stores. Kazansky started wondering. What was the history of commercialization and why didn't I know about it? And why was it not circulating amongst the people that I came to know in Morocco, the Jewish people I came to know? So there are a whole set of questions that arose in my mind about the relationship between this mehia that was being bought in a liquor store and the mehia that I was, that I knew about that was being consumed in these more intimate Jewish contexts. And that's what got me started of thinking about it as a research topic in and of itself. When he first started his research on Mehia, Kozanski was familiar with the liquor in the context of the Hilulot, Jewish ritual pilgrimages to the tombs of holy rabbis on the anniversary of their death. These events are more festive than you might guess, he says. The death of a rabbi is not a death in the sense that we think of it, but it's a moving on to another life. It's really a celebration of a more powerful life. And there's a common Moroccan Jewish saying that's true in other Jewish communities as well, which is that, you know, tzaddikim, rabbis, are more alive in their grave than when they were alive in, on the earth. And so the point here is that they're celebrations. They're celebrations of life and they're celebrations of a whole set of other um, facets of Moroccan uh, Jewish living. The drinking of Mehia helps add to the celebratory atmosphere. But that isn't its only role in Hilulot, Kozanski says. One of the goals of pilgrims is to come into the presence of the saint and to derive benefit from it. And that benefit accrues through lots of different practices, one of which is the pilgrimage self, one of which is just coming close to the saint in, its, in the saint's embodiment in, in the shrine itself. But another is to have the presence of the saint come into contact with items that can be brought back home so that presence can be brought back home as well. So it's quite typical to put a variety of different forms of liquid or cooking oil or other items, items of clothing, on a tomb so that it can partake in the power of the tzaddik and so one might put a bottle of mehiyah on a tomb and then bring it home for use throughout the year to share with those who, who might not have made pilgrimage. And so for themselves to come into presence, uh, into the presence of the tzaddik. 
As Kazansky dug deeper into the history of Mejia, he began to see that Morocco's colonization by France in 1912 was an important turning point. Partly because it was in that context that um, Mejia became an industrial product for the first time, and partly because Mejia was part of the process by which Jews were ma came to be imagined as certain kind of colonial subjects. The French started writing European-style laws, Kazansky explains, regulating who could produce, consume, and sell alcohol. Since alcohol consumption is forbidden in Islam, these laws primarily affected Jews and other indigenous Moroccans, he says. So alcohol was actually really important in thinking in, in the creation of these uh, colonial categories of personhood who's the Jew, who's the Muslim, and so forth. This division of the Moroccan people into strict categories was an important feature of French colonial rule. As the colonialists saw it, Jews and Muslims were very different groups with different rules to follow. Keeping those boundaries tight was important for lots of reasons in the Moroccan colonial context. The term divide and conquer is often used by historians to talk about that kind of strict colonial categorization, the extent to which that colonial categorization allowed for the creation of bureaucratic entities that dealt with this and not that, these people and not those, was important. And so that Mejia would be Jewish and only Jewish really mapped onto that clear distinction between Jews and Muslims as very different and, and antagonistic populations. So there's just that, that, that notion of there are things that are Jewish and there are things that are Muslim and never the twain shall meet. The French colonialists were pretty clear in their opinion of Mejia, Kazansky says. It was an emblem of moral depravity. And so, you know, I talk about my experience of Mejia as being, as, as experiencing Mejia in the context of intimate and convivial and loving and communal and spiritual contexts all of which no doubt were happening in the colonial period as well. But what colonial commentators saw was, was drunkenness and disorder that needed moral rectification. If you see the word mehia in colonial literature, you expect you'll start also to see words like prostitution and also words like children drinking mehia and bad parenting and debauchery and such. So in some, it was a, becomes a symbol of um, oriental backwardness. Colonial opinions of Mejia were likely influenced by attitudes about alcohol in France at the time, Kazansky says. There's huge public outcry against alcohol consumption in the early part of the 20th century. And France actually goes through its own periods of prohibition. Not prohibition American style, which is um, to say a broader prohibition of all alcohol, but at various periods in the earliest 20th century, there was uh, prohibitions against liquor. And so the whole sense of the moral uh, ambiguity or the moral problems of alcohol wasn't only about co colonized peoples and Jews in general. 
It was a certain moment in French history and European history. Colonialists might have seen Mejia as a symbol for the backwardness and immoral excess of Moroccan Jews, but those who produced and marketed the liquor flipped the script, as Kozanski puts it, and presented Mejia as something altogether different. Mejia comes to represent what can be both most modern about Jews. That is to say that Jews have the capacity to improve. They have the capacity to create hygienic factories. They have the capacity to become cosmopolitans who enjoy a good aperitif. And that's precisely how Mejia is marketed in its more modernist variants. The idea of Mejia representing the modern cosmopolitan Jew has lasted, Kazansky says, and can be seen in the way people talk about it today. In this 21st century, when there are online forums for all kinds of community, including Moroccan Jewish ones, global online forums, there are blogs, well, there are blogs actually that refer nostalgically to Mejia, and it's a nostalgia of a particular moment that is, it's not the nostalgia of the pre-colonial sense of tradition. It's a nostalgia of be being in urban Casablanca, a modern city, and, and remembering drinking Mejia in an apartment in Casablanca. Um, and so it's, it, it, I think there is evidence to suggest that that it worked in the sense that it was part of a broader way in which Jews in in a variety of different ways imagined themselves as Jewish moderns and Mehia was part of that story today there are only two to three thousand Jews living in Morocco compared to 250,000 when the Jewish population reached its height in the middle of the 20th century. The main consumers of Mehi in Morocco these days are not Jews, but Muslims, says Kazansky, despite the fact that alcohol consumption is still formally illegal for Muslims. But the commercial Mehi of today is quite different from what was produced by Jews in their homes, Kazansky says. Most of it is not distilled from fruits. It's mostly some kind of generic alcohol to which like anise might be added, that flavor might be added. The word mehia can't appear on bottles of this liquor, Kazansky explains, because of a law passed in the 70s regulating what could be called mehia. But it still looks a lot like the mehia of old. But if you look at the bottle, you would see Jewish motifs. And if you look at the bottle, you would see images of Berbers. And if you looked at the bottle, you'd see an image that kind of looks like a Jewish quarter, which is to say, although the word mehia can't be used, there are a variety of different ways of cueing, of marking the bottle as such, so that someone who comes into a liquor store and says, can I have some mehia? The person could say yes and give it to them. Kazansky thinks the shift to lower quality mehia partly explains why you won't find it in Moroccan Jewish households today. And people would say that. It's just, it, it's, it's, it's terrible. They would say, you, you can't buy commercial mehi. It's just not worth it. But Moroccan Jews still drink what might be thought of as artisanal mehi, particularly as part of Hilulot. A major context for Hilulot in Morocco over the past half century has been the return of Jews from the Moroccan diaspora to attend 
the events from Israel and France and Canada and the United States. Studying liquor might sound like a fun way to do research, and indeed, Kazansky has many fond memories of time spent in Morocco over a bottle of Mejia. But for Kazansky, Mejia offers much more than a pleasant way to pass the evening. It's one of those really intriguing, we'll call it an object, where the moral resonances are so varied and contradictory. And that, that variety is something that's been recognized by virtually all different kind of actors who've produced it or written about it or consumed it or used it in their rituals and so forth. And in that sense, it's like a good character in a novel. It, like a character that's not flat, a character whose morality you're not actually sure of a character who uh, on one page seems to be doing something terrible and on the other seems kind and endearing. Um, and that's, I think, a really interesting point. To Kazansky, Mehia also represents the ways in which Jews can inhabit multiple diasporas at the same time. I don't think anyone would suggest that Mehia should be the national um, drink of Jews. That would be patently absurd. But people can suggest that Mehia should be a national drink of Morocco. And in that sense, it certainly seems like it's reasonable to suggest in some sense that Mehia is more Moroccan, if you had to say it, than it is Jewish. And so invite people to always remember that people who are Jews are also members of other diasporas, and in this case, a, a Moroccan one. And that that membership in any given case is the important one. Kazansky also appreciates how Mehia, like many objects anthropologists study, plays seemingly opposite roles at the same time. On the one hand, it marks the boundary between Jews and other groups. On the other hand, it's what he calls an emblem of Jewish belonging. It's obvious that it, Jews represent Mehia and Mehia represent Jews in Morocco. But it's also the case that Mehia can and is forwarded as a distinctively and profoundly Moroccan object and a Moroccan object of consumption. So it's that, that idea, again, of what we take to be that which differentiates Jews from others in the worlds in which they live also brings them together, unites them, makes, makes of them the same people. You've been listening to Frankly Judaic, a production of the Jean and Samuel Frankel Center for Judaic Studies at the University of Michigan. The executive producer is Jeffrey Weidlinger. Jen Richler is the lead producer. You can find and subscribe to Frankly Judaic anywhere you get podcasts. And if you like the show, please leave us a five-star review. Thanks for listening.